Hey, you found us. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast. I'm Ben Glixman with my tag team partner, Matt Story. And the Midsummer Classic is behind us. Uh, the American League won for the ninth straight year. So if you yeah. are going into third grade or younger, you have not seen the National League win an All-Star game. Yeah, I know. My, uh, one, of, one of my young friends, uh, as you know, Randy Pollock, our son Jake, has, has, is exactly that, going into third grade and has not seen that. Now, I don't think he cares. But uh, still, it's a it's a statistical oddity. Yeah, the All Star Game gives you a lot of those. Like uh, Tony Gonzalez made seventeen consecutive starts without taking a loss to start the season, and of course, he's the losing pitcher in the All Star Game. Yeah, I know, I know, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, no, it uh, that was a fun night. You know, it's um, I I think the All Star Game is one of those things that just doesn't quite feel like it did years ago um well because now we have interleague play i think that's a big part of it yeah and we have every game on tv right because the all-star game used to be growing up in tucson yeah we would hear the dodger game and we would hear the toros games so you kind of knew dodger players because you see the dukes you you knew astros players right and then there'd be the espn sunday night game of the week and the braves and the cubs Braves and the Cubs, yep, on TBS and WGN, yeah, exactly. And, so you'd and yeah, you'd yeah, occasionally right. get a White Sox game, but for the right. most part, you didn't know much about anything about the American League because at the time no, the Astros no, were in the you're NL. right, yeah, because all those teams, uh, yep, yeah, pretty much all, yeah, because the Astros were in L back then. Um, yeah, you're correct. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, I I think that's true. I, I think, yeah, I think all those are legitimate reasons. Um, and, and, you know, obviously we don't remember this, but, you know, going back to when our parents were kids, like that was, you know, you didn't have most of those things. And so the All-Star Game was your chance to see just about everybody who wasn't in your local market if you happen to be in a local market with the team. So, you know, it's not what it used to be. Neither is the NBA All-Star Game, to be honest. The Pro Bowl certainly is, is on its last legs, apparently. Finally, mm-hmm. um, you know, so none of them are, but uh, but it's a fun night. It's a nice event. It uh, you know it makes you makes you feel some good old nostalgia, Americana, all that good stuff. And and uh, for me, you know, uh, now the last few years introduces me to guys because there's there were a handful of guys last night that I had never heard of before seeing them in that game. Yeah, well, and I mean the home run derby to a large extent did that too. You know, people may know who Juan Soto is because he's choosing right. to not sign a massive massive contract true true but you know i knew the kid from the mariners but me you know, too yeah even, even as someone did not yeah when as someone who like moderately follows all of baseball you know intently follow the brewers and and then it you know however far distant you are from the brewers is how much i know about you right even i was like Oh yeah, the Mariners are on a, I guess, a winning streak. It's like, oh, they're they they're in the wild card spot now. That's right, you know, right? Yeah, they've surged. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. You know, I. This is, God, this is the second time in five minutes I'm going to mention Randy Policar. He's a big Mariners fan, so I, I keep some tabs on the Mariners the same way I keep tabs on the Brewers because you're a fan, you know. And I, so I, I, you know, I pay attention to those results and see how they're doing, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I wouldn't have known some of those guys. And, I, you know, God, some of the pitchers, especially, that came in that game, like the relievers, like mm-hmm. there were a lot. I mean, Clay Holmes, who's apparently the closer for the Yankees, who have mm-hmm. the best record in baseball, 
I would have failed that quiz if you'd have asked me 36 hours ago who's the closer for the Yankees. I would have said Araldus Chapman. Yeah. So I think he's still there, but I guess he's not the closer anymore. Yeah, he's, he's struggled, um, so they moved him out of the closer role. Okay, okay. But yeah, it, I mean, and then that the catcher that finished the game, Jose Trevino or Trevino, mm-hmm. I, I'd never heard of him. Uh, I, I, you know, I knew it wasn't Jorge Posada anymore, but I might have guessed Jorge Posada if you asked me who the Yankees catcher or Gary Sanchez mm-hmm. in the last few years. So yeah, it's uh, that's the one thing that you know talk about how like it, we used to not get as many games, and like you said, you know, it's different. But for me, and and maybe it's just me, but maybe it's not. Like I bet you, twenty years ago, when it was harder to follow every team, it was harder. You know, I bet you there were very few all-stars. I didn't know who they were. Yeah. And now every year there's maybe 10 or 12 guys that I'm like, Oh, who is that? Who does he play for? Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know what that says. Maybe it's me. Uh, it could be. Yeah. I mean, I think some of it is just attention is being paid to other things now. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just, it feels like baseball does not, does not fit our first take culture. You know, and I'm and I'm and I'm using their show for a reason, but like it doesn't lend itself to great debate like basketball. It doesn't lend itself to being a prisoner of the moment like football, and so it's kind of gotten lost in the shuffle. It feels like. Well, it's yeah, it's both slow and long. So yeah, so no individual moment feels critical. Huge, right, you right. Know? And the game has changed now. You know, there's no showing a RBI single, you right. know? Right, there's, that's cause, true. Because that doesn't, you know, that's not interesting. We, no. we have plenty of strikeouts, but strikeouts are now fairly commonplace. Yeah, very. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know... I, I think I saw somebody tweeted this. One of the writers who I follow on Twitter um, suggested the All-Star Game is a really good opportunity to see just how amazing relief pitchers are now. And That's how, a great point, and I thought of it last night. I mean, I didn't see that tweet, but that, yeah, I would totally agree with that. You know, and just how hard it is to... When, when they throw as hard as they can in mm-hmm. a game like that, like it felt like there was no chance for offense. Yeah. Yeah, and it's also why most of the offense was via the homer. Right, that's, right. That's and all your of it chance. in the first, what, four innings? Yeah. I mean, you know, there was there was barely a guy reached scoring position in the last five innings, if I recall. Mm-hmm. So, you know, interesting. It is. I mean, the one thing, and we've talked about it recently, and, I mean, other people have certainly gone deeper on it, but just the, the lack of star starting pitchers anymore. Like, you know, it was Kershaw and Verlander, and they're, they're stars, but their better days are beyond, behind them. Uh, you know, in spite of John Smoltz saying Kershaw gets better with age, that's not true. No. Like, he's having a nice it's year. Mar- but Markedly worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just simply not true. Like, Kershaw was a unbelievable pitcher in, you know, 14, 15, 16. He's not that anymore. He's still effective. It's kind of a, you know, like late career Kobe. You know, still good, but certainly not as good as he used to be. No, uh, if he wasn't Clayton but, Kershaw, he wouldn't be, you know, he he wouldn't have been the all-star starter for the no, season. He no, no, I mean, he's so. had a nice year, 
deserves to be an all-star. Probably, I mean, he's not the best pitcher in the National League this year, but it made for a nice fairy tale moment and, you know, stunning, honestly, and they said it too. That was the first time he started an all-star game. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that surprised me just because he has been the best pitcher in the National League on multiple occasions, but I guess it just never worked out for him to be the starter. But, but uh, you know, like those guys are star names, but it's just so hard to find that, you know, like back when we were kids, like every team, it felt like had an ace and some teams had two or three aces. And those guys pitched seven plus innings every night, complete games. They were well-known quantities. And now like so many of these pitchers is like, I, I don't even know who they pitch for. Mm-hmm. Well, and with the, with the reliever game, the way it is now, yeah. Like you said, you, you only see starters for a few innings. Yeah. You know, yeah. and you know, the uh it, it's the it's the reason why everyone on in the stat world is in love with Sandy Alcantara. Because it's you know right. I saw somebody said this is his first appearance of less than seven innings <laughs> <laughs> you know, since May. Which is so rare. Yeah, yeah. I mean so rare and and it's just like, you know, and I get, I mean, there's still a few guys. I like Scherzer still, you know, he's still a workhorse. Um, he's been hurt some this year, but, you know, still a guy who pitches a lot. But it's, uh, you know, think about his teammate, DeGrom. Like, he's a star, but, man, he's hurt a lot. And, you know, it's just like, they're just so undependable, it feels like now. Mm-hmm. Um, his old teammate, Strasburg, was supposed to be a star, but has barely pitched since that World Series. And that's this is now three years since the World Series that he's barely pitched a major league game. Well, and that's it's interesting because that's just you know we talk about the way the game has changed and you know they're trying to bring it back, but I don't think you know we've learned too much about pitching mechanics. You can't make yeah. pitchers throw softer. You know, no, I agree. Like I that, agree. that's one of those you can make a second baseman stay on one side of the bag and the shortstop stay on the other side of the bag. But right, you, right. you can't get a guy to, like, not have that kind of torque on his elbow. And, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Now, the one thing I read, and it's I don't know if it's going to be backed up by data, but is that the, you know, the introduction of a pitch clock is partially intended to, you know, if you got to throw more pitches in a short amount of time, you won't, you know, you won't necessarily be able to give 100% max torque, as you said, on every pitch. Yeah. I, intriguing. I don't know if that's going to actually be proven true, but I suppose it, it makes some sense. Yeah. It, I, I'm curious what we're going to learn from the pitch clock. I agree. You know? Yeah. It, this is one of those things where sometimes you have ideas like instant replay in football and, and they're good ideas. Mm-hmm. Sure. And then sometimes you have, you know, the clock starts on the kickoff and those are bad <laughs> ideas. They are bad. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. So is this a good idea or a bad idea? I don't think we know yet. No, I don't think so. And there'll, there'll probably be some unintended consequences as I've, I've learned, you know, and we're going to talk about college football later. And there's a perfect example of like, you know, wanting something to happen oftentimes leads to things you don't expect and you got to be ready, you know, so there'll be things that happen as a result of that, that probably will be like, Oh gosh, I didn't see that coming. Didn't intend for that to be the result, but I'm intrigued by it at least, uh, you know, with the, you know, 
dissolution or outlawing of the shift with the pitch clock, with the, you know, if they're going to put a max on the number of pitchers you can have, or isn't that part of the plan? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, number of pitches you can have on a roster. They've already gone to the, you got to face three batters at least. Um, you know, it, it's a little gimmicky. And I know people like you and me who tend to be kind of traditionalists, I think more so are like, well, that's, you know, but you're right. Like we've learned too much. Baseball teams have learned too much. And so it's almost like we need these rules to try to try to dial some of it back because otherwise it's not going to dial back at all. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, the baseball has made certain things sacrosanct 90 feet down the bases, 60 feet, six inches to the plate. But you know, the mound height, you got to be a diehard to know the mound height. The, the tightness right. of the wind of the ball, the height of the laces off the leather, I, <laughs> right, you know, right. that's, those are all things that, you know, you can screw around with and pitchers will you complain, can. but, you know, I guess the other problem though is much like with pine tar, hopefully one yeah. of the unattended consequences of getting rid of it isn't wildness and guys getting True. hit with fastballs that are that fast. True. True. That fat. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very true. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, you know, it just, I, yeah, I think you're right though, in a way, like, I feel like no matter what you do, unless you, unless you institute a rule that, you know, a starting pitcher must pitch X number of innings or X number of batters or something. I'm not sure we're And I don't know how practical that is. How, how could you really do that? Um, I'm not sure we're going to see, you know, the return of, of this, the ace, the starting pitcher, you know, on a, on a regular basis, there'll be some exceptions. Maybe, you know, like this all Qatar kid with the Marlins is, is one, but, um, you know, it just doesn't feel like that's the case anymore. And, and then the, you know, even the star slugger doesn't feel like the same level star that they used to like Aaron judge. Mm-hmm. Aaron judge is a star, but like, you know, 20 years ago, don't you think Aaron Judge would be a bigger star in the sports world than he is now if he was doing exactly what he was doing? Because we've become disenchanted with the home run, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, it's been not, so devalued. It, it's not the, the way it was, anymore. you know, with like Brady Anderson and Luis Gonzalez um, in that like guys are hitting this many home runs out of nowhere, but it's just become... Much like pitching, we've learned, you know, we, we've solved the game of pitching. I don't, I don't right. know how much, you know, harder guys can throw, how much more spin, you know, right. when your change-up's in the high 90s now. <laughs> but I do believe that we've also kind of solved hitting because everyone said, well, with the shift and all these things, like, guys will start going the other way. And guys start, no, right. they don't. They swing for the fences. That's what we did. Exactly, exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 interesting because individual home run numbers are. I mean, I I think this is the case. Like, how many guys have hit fifty plus home runs in the last decade or so? Doesn't seem like it happens very often at all. You get one every couple years. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's still sort of rare, but it just doesn't. And I suppose it's because of, you know, the steroid era and, and the explosion of individual home run numbers that now the records don't feel like they matter. And 70 or 73 is so out of reach realistically. Yeah. that it's we're, like, we're now back to 60 and the chase yeah. for 60. And yeah. yet, 
yet there's not the feel of like, oh, that really matters because, you know, everybody knows, well, the record's not really 60. You may want it to be, but it's not. It's not 60 or 61. Um, you know, like, I mean, I, I listened to them last night say, you know, he's, he's got the most home runs before the All-Star break as a Yankee since Roger Maris. It's like, God, in, in you know, 1999, that would be the biggest thing going in sports right now. The Yankees, the best team in baseball, record-wise, with a slugger that's leading the league at home runs. He's he's a personable, you know, athlete. He's not, you know, he's an well, American he's, kid. He's you know, larger like than life, would say, literally. Huge megastar. I mean, literally larger than life. He is, yeah, yeah. Big guy, you know, a, a, a star name. You know, I mean, his, his last name, you know, the all-rise stuff. And, you know, mm-hmm. and, it, and it just, like, I think if you... If you did the, you know, and I'm sure somebody does these surveys, you know, the Q rating of, of an athlete, I bet Aaron Judge isn't among the top 10 American athletes right now. I, but I bet he's one of the highest rated baseball players, which says oh, a lot probably. about baseball. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. It, it, exactly, exactly, yeah. I mean, he probably is one of the most recognizable baseball players, but he'd be well behind, you know, LeBron, Steph Curry, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, probably mm-hmm. Kevin Durant, you know, Kyrie Irving, Curry, I mean, you know, uh, Tiger, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, like, he'd be well behind all those guys, I think. Yeah. Well, and I, I think one of the things, because we were going to talk about Jeter and this yes. new documentary series, um, he ranks behind Jeter. He, rank, he ranks behind now, Griffey. I agree. He, you know, I agree. Yes. I agree. I mean, it's it's extremely notable, and I, you know, I guess it's part of their campaign. You know, but DirecTV's you know advertising campaign with four baseball players—they're all retired. Mm-hmm. Rod, Griffey, Big Poppy, and and Randy Johnson. Like they didn't they didn't pick a current athlete to be part of that. No, it's it's four retired guys, and they're they're all probably more notable than a single active player is. Mm-hmm. And you're right about Jeter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I would venture to guess that it's still he's one of if not the top selling Yankees jersey still today. Jeter. Yeah. Yeah, probably so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just uh, it's sort of kind of comparable to like the NBA in the immediate years after Jordan, mm-hmm. when when the you know the Jordan hangover. I mean, and Jordan still hangs over the league, but they've got plenty of big stars now. But for a while there, it was like you know. Like, yeah, Kobe and Shaq were good, but Kobe wasn't what Kobe ended up becoming. Um, and, and you know, the Spurs were good. The Spurs never really, you know, outside of me and the city of San Antonio, the Spurs never really attracted a huge fan base. Um, you know, and it was like, ah, just not feeling it. But the problem with baseball is, like, some of these guys have been retired for 10, 15 years, and we're still, like, you know, oh, they're they're more recognizable than any current player. Like, it's not a great statement on where baseball is. Yeah, well, and especially because they. So one of the things I was listening to the podcast, Joe Posnanski, Michael Schur, talking yeah. about the Angels, and specifically talking about how you know, think of the idea that you would tell a fan base. You're going to have a guy who will become statistically the most impressive player in the history of the game. Mm-hmm. And at his age 28 season, you're going to add a guy to the team 
who will then become the most statistically impressive player in the history of the game. Yeah. And you won't win more than 78 games. Get nothing out of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean... Like, it's, it, it's, you know, yeah. Otani is a star, but is he? And, uh, you know, Trout is a star, but is he? Like, Trout, uh, yeah. Trout is That's Tim great... Duncan, right? Like, yes, he's the best, but we he has no interest in that. Like, he no. did a Agreed. Subway commercial, and that was it, you know? Agreed, yes, and, and that is a good comp, and... You know, and and it's harder in baseball for one player to have such an impact on his team's success like Duncan did. You know, I mean, in basketball, if you have one great player, you need more than one. But if you have one great, truly, you know, transcendent player, that guy can carry you a long ways. In baseball, you know, if you don't have pitching, if you don't have hitting around a guy like Mike Trout, you're not going to be very good. Yeah. And, and that's been the case. And so, I mean, I think the way you said it is exactly right. Like Trout and Otani are, are baseball stars. If you're a baseball fan, if you're a baseball media member, you hear those names and you say, oh, yeah, they're stars. But if you're just a casual sports fan, the sports fan who, you know, watches sports on the weekends, uh, maybe occasionally turns on Sports Center on a Sunday night or something, you know, just a casual fan, like, I'm not sure you know who they are. You well, might have heard of Otani just because him. of how unique he is. But that's yeah. it. And you might recognize Otani. Trout, yeah. you know, if if I showed you Trout and TJ Watt, I'm not sure you'd know. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I would. But, but that's, I, I mean, uh, you, you know, the royal you. I'm as not sure fan. that many people would. No, I agree. You know, like, it's it's the, you know, it's the mom test. I mean, and this mm-hmm. is, you know, I know that's a little sexist, but. You know, it's the who would who would your mom know? And I I don't know that my mom would know who Mike Trout is. She might have heard the name, but if I said what team does he play for, almost no chance she would get that right. Mm-hmm. But if I said, hey, what team does LeBron James play for? She'd know that in a heartbeat. What team yeah. does Patrick Mahomes play for? She'd know that. No question. Yeah. So it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, and... and I don't know. The Trout is a is. I mean, gosh, you know, he plays in a big city. Granted, they're the number two team in the city, but still, you know, great player in a big city. And and yeah, there's no postseason success, but you know that that hasn't prevented baseball players from being huge stars before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, I know we're going back in the day, but Ted Williams, Ernie oh, Banks, Griffey. I mean. Griffey, yeah, I mean, massive, to, huge names that I was gonna say you, you don't know, have to go back. Had all little that to no far. postseason success. Yeah, Griffey never won a World Series. Um, never even got to one, did he? No, Edgar Martinez. Got to the same. A couple times, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, they're just there are Hall of Fame guys where that yeah. you don't need it, but and and you know, I mean, like this guy's not in the Hall of Fame, but you know, Sammy Sosa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean. In his career, they went to the playoffs, I think. I don't know if he was there in 03. I can't remember. I know he was there in 98 when they won the wild card, and, and, you know. But, I mean, he had a huge name. Never had any postseason success. Bonds had very little postseason success. Finally had a great run there in 02 when they made the World Series. But up till that point, he was horrendous in the postseason. But he was a huge name, big mm-hmm. star. Yeah. So I don't know that that, you know, it's easy to say like, well, he's never done anything. They've never won anything. But like in baseball, that hasn't prevented you from being a big star in basketball. It, it, yeah, certainly. 
you got to have playoff success. You got to, you know, get to the finals, win a championship. That's pretty much tried true in basketball to be a big time star. Mm-hmm. Baseball's never been that way. Yeah. Uh, but let's talk briefly about the big time star, Derek Jeter. So you, yeah, you went yeah. back and you, you deep dove some of his okay. numbers. So I'll give the top line. Hall of Famer, Rookie of the Year, 14-time All-Star, 5-time World Series Champion, 5-time Gold Glover, 5-time Silver Slugger Award, World Series MVP, All-Star Game MVP, uh, 3,400 career hits, 260 home runs, number two for the Yankees, the yeah. captain. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and so why I did it was this. Like, I feel like, and I'm sure you've heard this, there's been this school of thought that emerged at the end of his career in the years since that like, oh, he's so overrated because he was a Yankee. If he played for the Kansas City Royals, you know, he wouldn't even be a Hall of Famer. I've heard that. And I've heard it enough to kind of like think, God, is that true? And so then I looked at the numbers and like, so we've marveled at Tony Gwynn's numbers before in the year to year. So I looked at Jeter's numbers from 96 through 2012. He played, first of all, in that span, he played 148 or more games, all but one of those seasons. Or no, all but two of those seasons. One, one 131, one 119. So a lot of games. Barely missed a game. And in that 17-season span, he hit 290 or better 16 times. That's pretty darn good. Yeah. Like Yankee, Royal, Minnesota Twin, I don't care. That's a great player. Oh, yeah. And hit leadoff on World Series teams. Yeah, yeah. Now, is he... Okay, I mean, I think it's inarguable that if he spends his whole career with the Kansas City Royals, do we have a six-part series on ESPN about him? Of course not. Uh, you know, he'd be more <laughs> of a... George Brett didn't know, get one? <laughs> exactly, uh, exactly. You know, and... You know, now granted, if he had been a Kansas City Royal in that time, he probably would have ended up getting traded or gone somewhere in free agency or whatever because the Royals stunk. But yeah, still, would have been like, a Royal, you know, then an A, like Damon and Jermaine die. Exactly. And yeah. then a then White Sox or a Red Sox or Yankee. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, but still, like, okay, yes, he's an icon because he played for the Yankees and they won, you know, four titles in his first five full years and then they won another one later and he dated the starlets and you know all that stuff doesn't happen if he's not a yankee but still like i i almost feel like it's become fashionable to say oh jeter's so overrated like to the point where now he might be underrated that's crazy he's he's the opposite of the overrated underrated guy where you know Mm -hmm. everybody oh this guy's so underrated and it's like all right he's properly rated now you've told me how good he is like jeter might be the opposite now yeah I think that that is, it's hard to say that, but it does seem, I I think part of it is Jeter has not done himself favors with his post-playing career choices. True, true. You know, the the foray into Yankee, or I mean, Marlin ownership. Marlin, yeah. Was wrong. No doubt. He. It was horrible. And the way they handled it was bad. Yes, yes. It was bad all the way around. Yeah. From start to finish, yeah. He should have done the MLB equivalent of what Vince Young does for Texas. He should just 
show up at Yankee Stadium 15 times a year. Yes. You should sign the autographs, be the guy, and then whatever they want to do, whatever he wants right. to do with the stadium. He, right, right. He, you know. No, I agree. It's kind of like Peyton Manning. You know, mm-hmm. like if he'd done a post-career Peyton Manning, just like, you know, be around, keep yourself present, but don't don't take on any real responsibility. Oh, if he because... had done if he had done the Manning cast version of Sunday Night Baseball? Yeah. Yeah. Like that's that's something. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I think he's a different it's not a fair comparison cuz I I think Manning is more of a I mean as much as Jeter was a big star, I think Manning likes being a star maybe more than Jeter. Like, I'm not mm. sure Jeter was that charismatic in the way Manning is. Uh, but you but do still, see, like, you yeah, see, yeah. Like, Jeter hosted SNL. He did. You know? He did, yeah. But yeah. I, I look at Jeter, and I think that guy could have done what A-Rod did and yes. would have just skyrocketed in estimation, continued. I mean, it yeah. would have been probably a mix. You would have had people who are like, ah, oh, it's like having a Cowboys announcer for your lead football. <laughs> true, true. But he was already likable more than A-Rod was. And then, you know, you would have had him there. Just on TV, on MLB Network, ESPN yeah. booth, whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's fascinating how the two of them have gone in opposite directions since their playing careers ended because – for most of their playing career, A-Rod was reviled, uh, you know, for taking too much money, for the steroids, for, you know, falling short when it came, when it mattered most. Cheater was the hero. He'd come up with the clutch play. He he dated the starlet. He, he married the swimsuit model. Like, he was all-American. Derek Cheater uh, played for the same team, never took too much money, blah, blah, blah. And, boy, since they retired, it's been opposite directions. Like, A-Rod has become, you know, media conglomerate you know he was all american guy when he was with j-lo that obviously isn't still the case anymore but still he he lived off that for a couple years and jeter's foray with the marlins was just a disaster from minute one all the way until the last minute Mm-hmm. so yeah i just which as we talk about this the cynical side of me says perhaps that's why he was interested in doing this series on espn and it worked for jordan it did work for Jordan. Now, Jordan has always been, you know, loved and, and admired and revered and all of that. Uh, but, but yeah, I do wonder if maybe Jeter saw that about whenever they started this, probably a year or so ago, and thought, hey, maybe I get myself a multi-part ESPN doc, people pay attention to it, get some sports talk about how great I was. And, I mean, I'm doing it. Uh, you know, I, I looked up his numbers and thought, wow, this guy was pretty darn good probably have forgotten how good he was. And and if other people around the you know world start doing that, then it's like maybe he can rehab his image through this. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's interesting. I'll be interested to see how much, if at all, they discuss the Marlins' tenure as we get to the end. I mean, part one was, you know, they're going basically chronologically. So part one was all about, you know, high school, getting drafted, minor leagues, first season, all that. I enjoyed part one. I'm going to keep watching. Um, I'll be curious since he's such a part of it. It's clearly done with his cooperation. How much will the Marlins tenure come up? Will it come up at all? 
Mm-hmm. Does it just end with, you know, his retirement and his Hall of Fame speech and just pretend that didn't even happen? Yeah. Um, overall, I think Jeter is properly assessed as a great player and, a, and an obvious in, deserving first ballot Hall of Famer. For sure, for sure. Inside of baseball, I think yes. I think the the casual sports talk radio listener, host, whatever, that's where I guess I think maybe like it's become so fashionable to put down Jeter's career, say, oh, he's overrated because he was a Yankee. It's like, you're not really you're not really paying attention if you're saying he's overrated. He was really, really good. Is he an yeah. uh, iconic character because he played for the Yankees? 100%. But, you know, that's cross-sport. I mean, if Magic Johnson plays his whole career with the Denver Nuggets, he's not Magic Johnson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's just the way it is. Like, you know, where you play matters. Well, and how they, you know, one of the things that is always the talking point about Jeter was at the time that they acquired A-Rod, everyone with the advanced metrics and what have you said, A-Rod's the better shortstop. Jeter should move to third. Right, And it was just presumed, Jeter's not moving. Jeter wasn't going to move. I'm curious when they get to that. I think they will discuss that. That's, honestly, that's kind of what sucked me into watching the beginning was during the home run derby, they did a little teaser and it didn't provide much detail, but, you know, showed they talked to A-Rod and like, okay, I kind of want to see how they, how they touch on their relationship and will they get into the whole third base shortstop thing and how they got along. And yeah, I'm, I am curious to, to see that part. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it, it's wise for him to have done this. Probably. Probably, yeah. This won't get near the attention that the last dance did because, as we just talked about, one, baseball's not as big a deal. Plus, I mean, the last dance was just like perfect storm timing that it was going to come out in 2020. And then, you know, they pushed it up when there was no sports. And it was like, you know, oh, my God, we got nothing else to talk about. We're going to inhale this, this, you know, series about 90s basketball. You know, we're not in that time frame, thank God, anymore. Um, you know, so it won't get that much attention. But, yeah, it, it can't hurt his image to do this. Yeah. Um, all right, well, let's talk about the last thing that either of us wants to talk about, but that must be discussed. A little bit, yeah. The Big 12 wins the breakup uh, <laughs> by announcing publicly that they are no longer interested in pursuing a merger or alliance with, yeah. with the Pac-12's 10 remaining schools, which I'm going to call the Pac-12 because yes. numbers and don't matter. Who knows, exactly. Uh, as, as I think we've discussed, maybe I've never said it to you, the Pac-10 should have just stayed the Pac-10 when they added Utah and Colorado. Nobody else changed. Yeah. No. Minor thought, but... We can get back on topic, but still, as you say that, the more I've thought about that over the last few years, like the branding matters, and they should have just stayed the Pac-10. Agreed. Um, but you know, I I saw an interesting take, which I'm hoping is true, which is other than winning the social media talking point of being the one to announce you're not interested. Yeah. 
would you rather be the Big 12 than the Pac-12 right now? I, I don't think so. Probably not. No. No. I mean, I'm I, feeling more I think... optimistic, slightly more optimistic now um, about the yeah. Pac-12 future because it does control that last time slot because Big right. Ten teams aren't going to want to play then. Big, the Big Ten's contracts are not for the, you know, 10.30 Eastern 7.30 slot. Pacific slot. Yeah, I agree. So in that respect, you still have an advantage there. Um, you know, there's going to be more movement in 18 months in terms of grant of rights deals and things. Right. You know, I've come around to Wilner's position that you sort of have to add San Diego State. I see he's been beating that drum. And I, I guess I don't totally disagree, but I'm not as on board as he is. So the idea behind it is pretty straightforward. They they play all the same sports. Right. And you've lost the L.A. market. You cannot yeah. let someone else take the Southern California market. And this yeah. is as close as you can get. His Yeah. He's yeah. suggested that, you know, Fresno State and San Diego State make a lot of sense for that reason. Yeah. You, yeah. You, I mean... Just sort of surround LA, keep Southern California as part of the footprint. I suppose. I mean, there's logic to it, and and you know, San Diego State does have a, a pretty solid football program of late. They built a new stadium, and the Pac-12 um, you know, so has helps. had tie-ins to the Holiday Bowl forever, so the, it's true. not an true. unfamiliar set of teams to be coming to Southern California. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I I can see it. Um, you know, it, it doesn't. It doesn't pack, win the the press conference. It doesn't. But there is no option that wins the press conference. I mean, like realistically, who are you going to get that would be like, oh my gosh, that's a huge addition. How oh my God, I can't believe the Pac-12 pulled that off. You know, like those options don't exist. Realistically, you know, you're not getting Texas and Oklahoma to forego their SEC membership to join the Pac-12. No, so, I mean, I think I, I think the lesson here is. You don't get to stand pat. And when there was the last round of movement and we watched BYU and Houston go, those would have made logical sense and captured the Houston TV market, which is big. Yeah, Um, yeah. You know, and BYU's a natural rival. I don't know that any of that's enough to keep the LA schools. Although, I do want to discuss that uh, have you noticed it is not necessarily a done deal for UCLA? I have. The, the, now, I, I have. And, and you know, I suppose it could mushroom into something. Right now, I still am kind of in the mindset that, like, it's a lot of hot air being blown and, and you know, that ultimately they'll end up exactly. But, but I've heard the rumblings, and, you know, it could turn into something more than I'm expecting, I guess. I think it's difficult because what – what do you do? Like you, you're gonna force UCLA to stay. You can't force USC to stay. Exactly. And, They're and, gonna do what they want. Yeah. And yeah. You, you know who else you can't force to stay? Stanford. And, right. And if USC's leaving, and you're the Big Ten, don't you just call Stanford and say, "Well, USC Probably. asked for UCLA. Now UCLA Probably. can't go." We'd still like an even number of teams. 
do you want to come? And a, and a second team in California. And yeah. yeah, no, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So I agree. I still think it will happen. I'd say I'd be stunned right now. But, you know, sometimes things do, you know, turn into something more than you expect. So it could be a problem. Um, so I, I agree with you. So here, here's how I'm going to I'm going to ask you, I guess, your opinion and, and frame it in, in terms of what mine is first, maybe. I agree with you. The Pac-12, I think, is in a stronger position than the Big 12. But thinking at, about it from an ASU perspective. Right. If the Big 12 would come and say, hey, we want to we look into this. Let's get the four teams, Colorado, Utah, and the Arizonas, the ones that was originally rumored. Are you better off with the Pac-12 or joining the Big 12? What do you think? I think probably to move. I think so too. At that point. I think so too, yeah. Um, I have a hard time tying my fate to the interests of Oregon and Washington. Yeah, though, 100%. Though I trust, I trust their presidents to be more interested in football than ours. So True, true. I, so... But I don't trust them to stay in the Pac-12 because of that. I, that's it. That's exactly it. I feel like saying, you know, we'll stick with Oregon and Washington in the Pac-12, but what if the Big Ten in two years says, hey, Oregon and Washington, we know we weren't interested uh, then, but we are now. They're gone before the you know the sentence gets out of the Big Ten's mouth, basically, I think. So then what, then what are you left with? Mm-hmm. It's not much of a market with Oregon State, Washington State, Stanford, Cal. Stanford, Cal, and and those four schools. Yeah, I mean that's that's a ghost town in terms of big time football, at least. So well, I agree. The Pac-12 with Oregon and Washington, it, those two brands are probably better than anything the the new Big 12 has. Not the Big 12 as it is this year, but the you know the new reconstituted Big 12. Uh, you know Oklahoma State. You know, Cincinnati. I mean, those good programs. I'm not no slight on them. It does, but I don't think they have the cachet that Oregon does. I think it does also raise your profile for your basketball rights slightly. Yeah, because you lose UCLA, but Arizona Kansas is a compelling twice a year matchup. It would. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, if you 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 talk about taking those four and merging with the Big Twelve. Yeah. Yeah. Or not merging, but but going to the Big Twelve, basically abandoning the Pac twelve. Yeah, I would agree. Um, you know, the the key with that, and you know, you and I are from a, a generation that you know always thought football and basketball, and now it feels like the decision makers think football mm-hmm. and nothing else. Like basketball doesn't like there is no then basketball. It's just like well, we'll figure out everything else. Uh, so I don't know if that matters to the people who are making the decisions. I agree with you completely. Just don't know if it matters. Um, but yeah, I think what's best for Arizona State is either for the Pac-12 to add somehow, yeah, or to leave. I I don't yeah. think staying with yeah. the other eight schools works for the Arizona schools as, I agree. as an Staying independent with a, decision. a new Pac-10, essentially, minus USC and UCLA, I just think you're right for getting plucked. 
soon. You know, it may not be this year, it may not be next, but, you know, every day you're going to have to worry about when is the bad news coming. That two of these schools are leaving and now we're screwed. Well, and then the other thing is, you know, you're playing this whole thing where, you know, you grossly misplayed the playoff for football. Yes, yes. And, And now... And I'm going to say this as an objective observer, rightfully so. The SEC has taken the position of, well, we offered it to you. You declined. Yeah. Don't ask us yeah. again. No, I agree. I, I, it sounds like Greg Sankey is is bitter. And I can't necessarily blame him. He went along with a system that really wasn't overly advantageous to his conference. He, he basically, he and a couple other people drew up this 12-team system with six auto bids. And all the while, he knew he was getting Texas and Oklahoma soon. And so it would have made perfect sense for him to say no auto bids or two auto bids or something. But no, he went in and right off the top basically said, five of these bids are going to be not owned by the SEC, and I'm willing to agree to it. And the ACC and the Pac-12 squashed it. Well, and, and the Big Ten and, appeared and, and to be so he's on pissed, board. And I don't blame him. You know? Because now the Big Ten and the SEC can just say, well, we'll just have our conference champions play each other. Yeah. We'll, yeah and, and we'll I mean, play I, that I, at, you know, you want to talk about how we're killing the Rose Bowl. We'll play that at, uh, you know, Jerry World in Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. And that'll be the national champion because that's who the voters will vote the national champion. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I think. You know, it, now some of it's probably posturing. I know he said something this week about, you know, uh, well, the next incarnation may not have any auto bids. You know, everything's negotiable. But I, I think that the SEC and the Big Ten will probably, and the SEC especially, will drive a hard bargain and say, you know, four auto bids, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. Like, you know, make it where, hey, our champion is guaranteed to go all the time. And we're going to open up more at larges so that we can potentially have five teams in this 12 playoff six teams if we have a really great year i mean like if you're going to monopolize all the big time programs it's not out of the realm of possibility Mm -hmm. it will lead to some interesting wrinkles on old debates would you rather take a three loss sec you know fourth place finisher texas yeah or uh one loss Oregon who didn't play anybody. And and I tend to think it'd probably be a three loss SEC team. Yeah. More often than not. I mean I guess it depends on the individual year and all that. But yeah, I mean I feel like if you concentrate so much power in the Big Ten and SEC and I mean I I can't remember where I read it. I don't even know how the objective measurement, but it was like, you know, the top 20 programs of the last whatever number of years in terms of, I think, ranking, preseason ranking and postseason ranking or something like that. And like 15 of the 20 are now either current or future Big Ten or SEC members. It was like Florida State, Clemson, Miami, uh, maybe Oregon, and Notre Dame, I think, or something. Those were the only ones that weren't. Like, you know, so... They got all the programs that seem to really matter between, you know, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, USC, 
I mean, on and on and on, it feels like, you know, the big programs that matter are heavily concentrated in those two conferences now. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if I'm them, I'm not agreeing to a six auto bid thing. Hell no. Not with it feeling like, hey, you know, that we're going to give four auto bids out to, you know, whatever is left of the Big 12 and the Pac-12 and, and the American. Why would we agree to that? Mm-hmm. It's not because the Americans been weakened by the Big Twelve editions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, we talked about that months ago when it was the ACC that was really at the forefront of like, you know, we're we don't think it's the right time for this playoff, and I, I opened my mind to the thought of like, you know, maybe this guy's right. Maybe we don't need to rush into anything. Maybe. He's making the right decision, Jim Phillips, and I think he's taken direction from his schools, obviously. I don't think he's making that decision on his own. But, boy, does it look like a miscalculation right now. And, yeah. and we'll see what actually ends up getting in place to see how bad of a miscalculation. Yeah. Potentially a, a conference-killing miscalculation. It could be. and I mean, it's possibly for the ACC as well. Well, I'll tell you, however many auto bids you have, that's how many conferences there will be. So if it's three, yeah. then everybody else is yeah. going to be in that third. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would probably, if, I mean, really at this point, it's, you know, because we're still, what, two years off from the, you know, if I'm the SEC, I am pushing for no auto bids. Because, I mean, if I'm looking at a 12-team playoff and I've got Georgia, Alabama, Florida, Texas, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Tennessee, uh, you know, Auburn, like that's eight huge brands right there. I want as many of them as a playoff contender as I can get. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Now that we've got that out of our system. <laughs> <laughs> so who knows? I mean, you know, a lot, a lot has been yammered about. Nothing has happened since the USC UCLA uh, news, you know, nothing actually tangibly has happened, but, um, yeah, I, you know, the only thing I could say is this, it's July 20th and I am really anxious for it to be, you know, September 3rd, September 1st, so that we can just start talking about football, actual games for a little bit. This, this isn't going to go away. I'm not saying it is, but there'll be a honeymoon period where we actually just get to talk about games. Yeah. I mean, sure, that's what we'll talk about. <laughs> what I'm going to talk about. Yeah. Well, we'll be back. We're going to start doing our football previews because camps are open. So. Yes, yes, I know. It's it's uh, just about that time, and I'm getting ready. Until next time, he's Matt. I'm Ben. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast.